This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here with you, and I'm in the studio with Pastor Craig Jarvis. Pastor Craig, how are you this fine day? Yo, good. How you doing? Oh, yeah. Hey, good. Hey, you holzer. So we are um, getting ready for a pretty challenging question. Um, before that, what you need to know is that Pastor Craig is filling in for Pastor Tim. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've been listening to our podcast, you have Sir learned Tim. by now he is Sir Tim Chin. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Tim has just a really strange connection and history to, uh, we'll just say, very famous people. And um, so anyways, uh, what you what you don't know about Tim is that he knows a lot of people. And when Tim is on vacation, likely he has been setting his agenda for months and months. And so he's actually going to record with Jimmy Fallon on the Tonight Show, yeah, and it's gonna, ugh, Jimmy, ugh, and uh, he is gonna be um, in a number of skits, and I believe that it airs on July twenty fifth or something like that. Anyway, so look for him. Him and Jimmy go way, way back to the Saturday night day, Saturday night days. Um, Pastor Tim was an extra. Um, on Saturday Night Live really? back in the 90s and early 2000s. It was just kind of a fun gig while he was pastoring in a church in New York. Was Jimmy born then? Jimmy? Oh, yeah. Jimmy's like 45 or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's yeah. like an old man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anyways, uh, so you're gonna see you're gonna see Pastor Tim. That's pretty exciting, and um, yeah. So how does this guy does this stuff? It's I don't know. Me. He amazes me. Is he gonna be wearing the wig that he usually does when he's on the doing the extra? That, he, didn't they require him to wear a wig? On they there? do. I don't know. It is a weird thing. And here's how you'll know, Pastor Tim. You will see a, an interesting looking person wearing a toga. That's it. It, that's how you're going to be able to identify Pastor Tim. So look for him July 25th, Saturday Night Live, Tonight Show. Not tonight, Saturday Night Live. The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And uh, yeah, him and Jimmy are good friends. So it should be pretty cool to see what happens. Cool. All right. So today the question is, what is a biblical view of IVF? And the question goes on. And IUI treatments for infertility. So we'll define those terms in a, in a little bit. Um, in vitro fertilization, uh, intrauterine insemination, um, all fun words to say over and over again. Let's get big picture, Craig. Uh, give us a brief overview of how God feels about human life um, versus all other forms of life. FYI, moms and dads, before we get into this this uh, conversation, we'll have some adult content. So if you got kiddos around, press pause and wait till they're gone. So everything goes right back to the beginning. In Genesis, God created everything that there is. And if you miss this in Genesis 1 and 2, if you miss this 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 major part of theology, then you'll miss the uniqueness of being made in the image of God. Yep. God created everything that, the, I mean, all the birds, all the, we talked about insects a couple of days ago. Hmm. Um, God created all of this in, in wonderful, spectacular creativity. And then the trees, I mean, the fish and the sea and the birds of the air and all of these things. And then he gives them to one group. And, and at that time, one individual, Adam, Adam was yep. to uh, oversee 
uh, taking care of the animals and the and the the fruit trees and the and all of these things. The creepy crawlies. Everything. Everything. And then Eve comes along. They have children, and it's our job as image bearers was to take care of what God gave to us. And God said it was very good, but it could be made better if we participate in creation to make it better. So we make gardens, we make our lawns beautiful, mm-hmm. we make our house. I mean, we we have the ability to participate with God in this human divine cooperative to to add our colorful participation to make something that God has already made beautiful even better. Yep. So being created in the image of God, this is the most unique part in all creation. Uh, Psalm chapter 8 talks about what is man that you're mindful of him. And, mm. and this is the idea that we are we are the most unique and special thing that God ever created. And everything we see around us was given to us as yep. a gift uh, from his creative hand. So so understanding who we are in the in being made in his image is is key to this. Uh, Psalm 138.13 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. So uh, every time we have a little baby that is born, we we multiply this, this blessing that we have to fill the earth with more image bearers and every one of us is special unique and not just to god but also we should be to one another Mm. we are the best that god did so everything was made to give god glory Mm -hmm. but everything was made for man Mm -hmm. and man's job is to take the chaos of the world and bring order to it which is what God did, ironically, in Genesis 1. He took a formless and void world and brought order to it, and now we as image bearers do that. And so mm-hmm. fundamentally, there is a difference between a, a baby polar bear and a baby human. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, there is a difference between a baby puppy, a baby cicada, a baby spider, a baby lion, than a human being. Fundamentally, mm-hmm. all of creation was not given to any of those animals to subdue and to bring order out of the chaos of creation. All all of creation was made to be under the thumb, if you will, of humanity that we might oversee it, take care of it, have dominion over it, honor it, respect it, et cetera. Yep. And so, you know, fundamentally, um, human life is utterly distinct and different from all other forms of life because God has put uniquely on humanity his image and given us a responsibility to do what he does, which is to bring order out of chaos. And so when we talk about um, IVF, IUI, all these different infertility treatments, here's what we need to understand. Anytime you tamper with a human being, you're tampering with something utterly unique and distinct from all the rest of creation. Right. Um, this is why murder is reserved for the taking of a life of a person, mm. not the taking a life of an animal. Mm. Um, they are categorically distinct. So when we talk about humans, when we talk about infertility, we talk about um, bringing eggs and sperms together uh, in in a fertilized way. Like this is not something to be taken lightly because um, what we see in the Bible from beginning from the fall when Cain killed Abel all the way is that murder is the most significant wrong a human being can do um, because it kills the image of God. Mm -hmm. It's different. It's fundamentally unique. So um, we need to be crystal clear. We need to have utmost clarity on what is a human being? When does life begin? And how should life end? Um, If anybody in this world is going to be, we'll just say precise 
and well-educated. It has to be the follower of Jesus Christ in this culture. And uh, I want to make one, you know, kind of analogy, I guess. Uh, so if you, Craig, were going to get into your car and it was a 50-50 chance that your kids were going to die in the car, would you get in the car? No. No, right. So when you don't know and the odds are that high, what do you do? You take the path of caution, right? And um, so we'll just say in the secular world, without God's revelation, there is no way to prove or not prove when human life begins. I mean, God's word gives us clarity, but if we're just talking to a secular culture and a secular worldview, and, and if you look at people and say, do you know that you know that you know when life begins, if they're going to have any integrity, they have to say, well, we don't actually know at the point. And here's what I say to them. Then you, because it is a human being, have to take the utmost caution always. And uh, I think this is just a logical thing that transcends scripture is that if you don't know, then you don't take the 50-50 chance and walk into that circumstance. For example, if you don't know if the, um, we'll say the tissue in your body that is forming into a human being is actually a human being yet, then you don't kill it. Right. And you do know that that tissue is not going to form into anything else. It will it's not, not form, going to become yeah. a polar bear. It's totally. not going to become an animal. It's not going to become a tree. That is going to become, if it carries to full term, yep. it will become a baby. Always. Yep. So uh, I want to talk about a pro-life position because, and we have no shame saying this, this is a fundamentally pro-life podcast. We're fundamentally pro-life men, fundamentally pro-life church, village church. And so um, here's the most simple way to understand human life. I want to help build a logical and biblical framework for when life begins. Um, we say life begins at conception because at conception, it has all of the full DNA and capacity um, for growth as a human being. And, um, and so, uh, four things that are typically said about, um, how, you know, something is a human being or not. So number one is, is it complete? So from the moment of fertilization, the preborn child is complete. It has all the information that it needs to be there. It, it simply needs time to grow. The only difference between a five-year-old and 18-year-old and a, a fertilized egg is time. Mm -hmm. It has everything it needs. Now, whether or not, um, a human being is conscious does not mitigate their humanity. Whether or not the human being is developmentally at a certain level does not mitigate their humanity. Mm -hmm. um, they have everything that they need inherently intrinsic. All they need is time. A five-year-old has everything it needs to be a fully functioning adult except for time. He just needs more time. Um, sometimes there's this cultural justification that if it does not have certain capacity, um, currently than it is justifiably able to be killed because it does not know necessarily what it's experiencing. Well, that's ridiculous. Just because you kill a child in his sleep after you put him to bed and filled him with drugs so he would never wake up does not mean that just because he's not aware of what's happening, that it's still not murder. Mm -hmm. So number two, is it unique? So a preborn child is unique and genetically, genetically distinct from his or her mother. Uh, this is important because the preborn child is not a part of the mother, like an appendix, but is a separate and distinct human being unique from the mother with its own unique DNA and genetic makeup and disposition. Um, number three, it has to be alive. And the laws of biology tell us that a preborn child is alive because it is growing and it's developing mm -hmm. from a very, very small, recently fertilized egg to the third day, to the fourth day, to the fifth day. It is constantly developing and growing, which tells us that it is alive. It is unique and that it is its own DNA separate from its mother and it's complete and that all it needs is time. And then number four, we know that it's human because of what you said earlier, it comes from another human. Humans always and only beget humans. You will never find 
a circumstance on the planet where any other species begets anything other than the species that it is. It's just part of the rules of the universe. It's never happened otherwise. So here's what we say. The Christian doctrine teaches us that life begins at conception. And because it is human life, it is of utmost value because it's made in the image of God and God has uniquely put value on that baby. Whether the baby is was just fertilized one second ago or whether it is a 17-year-old or a 99-year-old who can't feed themselves, they are made in the image of God and are uniquely valuable. Now, Craig, we got to get to IVF, in vitro fertilization. What is IVF? And then what is intrauterine insemination? Go for it. So IVF is the is the idea of taking making the fertilization process happen manually by combining the egg and the sperm in a laboratory dish and then transferring the embryo into the uterus uh, so that the woman can become pregnant. Okay. Um, uh, IUI is, is a form of assisted conception. So your doctor places washed prepared sperm into your uterus uh, and near the egg so that the process actually takes place in the womb at the time of ovulation. The pro- this procedure is often combined with fertility drugs so that you could it will increase your Yep. ability to conceive. Okay. So those are the two. One is done outside of the uh, womb and the other is done inside the womb. All right. Question for you. Are either of these inherently sinful? Not as far as scripture teaches us. There's no, there's nothing in scripture and they weren't doing IVF back yeah, then. Right, yeah. um, but oh, Is this new? So yeah, yeah fairly <laughs> new. And, yeah. and there'll be something 20 years from now that we'll have the same yeah. kind of moral dilemma. We'll have to look at scripture and figure this out. But there's no no passage in scripture where you can say there's something sanctified about a single egg or a single sperm. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, when you combine them, like you said so so well a few minutes ago, when you combine them, that begins the process of developing or, or allowing the procedure to take place where that human being has a beginning yep. and will necessarily have an end way down as time progresses. Yep. But you, when you begin the process of that sperm, that egg joining together, so they become a human, mm. uh, that process begins where it begins. Yep. And so if you're creating more than one so that you can be pregnant or, or have a better chance of getting pregnant, you, you have to struggle with the issue of if you're, if you're doing this, um, if you're doing this, um, I don't know if you want to say it uh, uh, outside of the womb. If you're mm-hmm. doing this scientifically, uh, then you need to you need to struggle with. Okay, you're beginning the process in each of these instances yep. where you're beginning life, human life. Yeah, let me let me say it like this: um, when wherever the human life begins, whether it's in a petri dish or in a, a body, okay, um, you as a parent are responsible the moment that becomes a human being at conception. You're responsible for protecting that life. Mm-hmm. Um, a pregnant mother does not, should not do drugs or do physical activity that's going to put the baby in harm because you're responsible as a parent for protecting that life. When the when the baby's born, you're responsible for not leaving it outside in the elements um, at every single moment. Even when it's in the womb. I even, mean, you, you'd yes. look at somebody smoking and you'd say, what in the world, lady, you're smoking and you're pregnant. Totally. And, and, and so when you have a baby that's made maybe in a Petri dish, you're responsible at that moment for that baby's protection. And uh, your job is to do things for that baby that are going to provide for it a context that creates the most ample opportunity for life. Okay. Mm -hmm. There is no more fragile moment in a baby's life than when it's a recently fertilized egg. Um, And and that's not 
a moral argument for opposing in vitro fertilization. It's just saying you are culpable and responsible for the life of that baby. And uh, one of my questions, this isn't a pro or con, it's just a question, is that um, if the death rate is exponentially higher in that, is that something I would do for any other child of mine? You know, would I put them in any circumstance where the death rate is significantly higher? Um, some people could retort and say, well, just having sex and um, uh, having babies the normal way, there are so many miscarriages, it's unethical if you're going to make that argument. You could go both ways. I'm not here to say I have anything... I'm not opposed to IVF. I would just say I want the mom and dad who fertilize that egg to feel incredible weight of responsibility as if that child was conscious and crying. Um, even though developmentally they're different, it's still your responsibility because you would be the father and mother advocating this procedure. So now if you're going to do it, um, uh, the goal in this would not be to create more, we'll say, humans may call it embryos, whatever you want, it makes you feel better, um, then you intend to have children. I would agree with that, except it makes this process very expensive. Yes. Um, and I, I've had friends that have considered doing this, and that's ultimately what they came down to was uh, they only fertilized the ones that they wanted to implant in the womb. Yep. And uh, and unfortunately, there's a huge charge every time yep. you do that. So out of, out of prudence financially, hospitals will inseminate a bunch of different yep. eggs and put them in a freezer. So that's, that is a challenge. That and, is a challenge. And they're in there, you know, until they get rid of them. I mean, that's another ethical issue is if you fertilize multiple eggs, is it ethical to put them in a freezer? Um, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. um, part of me says uh, I'm ethically responsible to provide the best context for life. Um, and thankfully it doesn't kill them or harm them, which is great. But the problem is many of them get destroyed after a period of time, mm -hmm. or as we would probably say killed because they're not perceived to be as valuable humans made in the image of God. Um, the hard part about this whole argument is that it's culturally nonsense because the cultural system says who cares? It's just tissue. It's so ingrained into the cultural ethos that it's not a person that when we say stuff like this, it sounds like nonsense. So true. And if I could give you a story on yeah, that. Yeah, please. Um, I, I've even heard an argument saying, okay, the, so this this uh, uh, this embryo factory, this, this uh, place that they're inseminating these and keeping these eggs is burning down. And uh, you're in the building and there's some children in there. Would you rescue these unfertilized eggs and rent, run them out of the building and let the children burn up? Or would you take the children, you know, these grown children out of there first? Well, that's just a stupid argument. Yep. Uh, all, it, all it is is a slippery slope going down to the very bottom of the slope trying to make a point one way or another. And that's unfortunate. But it only goes to prove what you already said. Our culture is so – they've already so much made up their mind on this. Yep. That to talk about value of life in a petri dish uh, sounds almost absurd to most yep. people. And th this is where, um, honestly, if you are a pro-choice um, secular liberal, this podcast is not going to change your mind. Mm -hmm. And I don't, e I don't even intend it to. The intention of this podcast is to talk to believers who are um, wanting to be informed by scripture about life and logic. Um, and so- 
our yeah our desire is to help people think biblically and critically and not just take the easy way out intellectually because culturally it feels good but to allow the word of god to expose and dismantle whatever cultural lies we believe and i would just say especially the cultural lies about when life begins what is a human being and what is it okay to do to a human being who is a an inconvenience or b is not um, developed enough to be sentient and to feel certain things, um, let alone, let alone um, second or third trimester abortions mm. when, the, when the babies are clearly sentient, conscious, can feel, et cetera. Like that's just um, a whole another level of seared conscience. And if you could hang on to that thought just for a second, and mm -hmm. I want to interject there. If you've never, um, if you have a view on abortion because of things that you've heard or the culture in which you've grown up or your your family and, and beliefs that your family has held, uh, but you've never actually researched what an abortion is or how that looks. You should really do due diligence there. Yep. And try watching a video. Try watching a video. It will it will change your worldview in a heartbeat. Yep. And if you're scared to do that, then that tells you something about yourself as well. Yep. There's something inside of us that knows. Mm. And um, when it comes down to convenience or reality and truth, sometimes it's way easier to suppress truth and just go for convenience. And here's the lie. It's been done hundreds of millions of times right. over and over again. It can't be that big of a deal. Right. That's right. And uh, I imagine many people in very horrendous circumstances have justified their behavior because it's just one of many. And yet we are personally responsible before a holy God mm -hmm. who has imprinted on every human being incredible exponential value, greater than the value of any other animal. Um, when PETA people call um, the the mur the killing of an animal murder <laughs> there's a confused conscience there it you know there's is. a confusion of what has ultimate value mm -hmm. if it's me shooting the gorilla or letting the gorilla eat the kid i'm going to shoot the gorilla because the value is different it's like saying which dollar which bill would you pick up the billion dollar bill or the 1 dollar bill that is how vast the difference of value is between animals and humanity because no other creature has the image of god imprinted on him like human beings. So now I'm not saying that the $1 bill is in value. I will pick up a $1 bill if I find it. Okay. And I'm going to care for it and I'm going to spend it. Right. Absolutely. It's but God's gift to us. It is God's gift, but it's different. <laughs> is so, there a billion dollar bill? I don't know, but if there was, I'd pick it up quick. <laughs> I'd race you for it. And I would even consider tripping you and punching you and then paying for all your medical bills. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm an image of God, man. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, uh, one, one last question for this. Um, do I, this is a, a question that um, someone wrote. Do I believe that God's plan and purpose for my life can include infertility? It does. It does. You have to say it does. And yeah. and it could be a result of a fallen world. It could yep. be a result of the fallen environment you grew up in. It could be yep. a result of bad stuff you ate from a fallen world. Yep. It could be a result of you know disease or something like that. So it could be, things. it could just happen, but, yep. but whatever it is, yeah, you have to say it's a part of God's plan and it, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't examine every option yep. that's on the table, including new advances in science yep. to see if you can become pregnant. If God has put that on your heart for you and your, your yep. husband, um, for your family, for your, for, for where you, the direction of your lives go, then you, I, I think it's a valid option to consider, but mm -hmm. you must maintain that, distinct, unique view of human life yep. above all other life, or you're not going to appreciate um, the process as much as you should. And there's this little word called adoption, which oh, yeah. right now are hundreds of thousands of kids in the foster care system or needing adoption 
in just America alone and, and in North America, it's a profound need and to think maybe even differently, like, okay, why is God shutting this door? And when you've, when you've taken routes and they've all ended up with a closed door, the scientific community does not have any more options for you. I think this is one of the most natural conclusions for a Christian is um, adoption and fostering is a very natural next step um, to, yeah, to being pro-life. So Absolutely. I th- and I think adoption is such a great picture of redemption. Yep. Uh, to rescue um, this needy person and bring them into your own family uh, like God did with us, to rescue us in our need and to bring us into his family. It's a beautiful picture. And the New Testament church was doing it when when the rest of society was abandoning their children. The church would come and they would adopt these children. And so when they read the word adoption in scripture, uh, where we've been adopted into God's family, they read them through very different eyes than we mm-hmm. would read them today because they're their family unit was broken apart when they brought in more more children. Mm. Um, their family unit was was broken. They had no dollars to to spend. I mean, they were uh, they were um, th- there was no government programs or anything. But they brought them in clearly out of love, um, out for these little children that had been abandoned. And so when they read the word adopt, when we read the word adoption in scripture. Uh, it is a powerful word that not only declares who we are because mm. we've been accepted in God's family, but also when we're able to do that for another image of God, mm. it's a beautiful picture awesome. of uh, what God has done for us. Mm. Well, thank you for that, Craig. And listeners, thanks for joining us today. I uh, want to invite you back tomorrow. We're going to answer the question, is surrogacy okay? <sighs> These questions just keep getting harder and harder. <laughs> we'll take it on. We'll see you tomorrow.